Well, today is the first part of a new series we're doing. We're doing a series called Meet the Interns. Um, if you'd missed our Facebook campaign. I want to start with Thomas because Thomas epitomizes the UK. And what we're doing through this series is while we look at one particular of the Jesus interns, we'll be looking and pairing them with a celebrity. At 12 o'clock today, if you go onto the City Hill Facebook page, the flyer will be up for next week announcing one, who the next intern is we'll be looking at, and two, what celebrity we've paired them up with. But first up, we're talking about Thomas, and the celebrity we've paired Thomas up with to discuss today is Benjamin. No, it's not. We're pairing him up with Richard Dawkins. Because when I look at Richard Dawkins, he's a man who is pretty much a celebrity that is known and famous solely, really, for being an atheist. It's not, there are other more famous atheists out there, but he's solely famous for the sake of being an atheist. He wrote a book, if you didn't, haven't read it or haven't seen it, he wrote a book called The God Delusion. And um, today we're going to be looking a bit about that. We're going to be looking a bit about Thomas. And I want to put forward a few ideas and a few thoughts today, which you may have heard before, um, if you sat with me over a coffee. And if you haven't, you probably never have heard me say before. In the book of Genesis, it says that God made man in his image. Now, if we were made in the image of God, that means something else. That means God is kind of a bit like every one of us in some way because we're made in his image. There's a saying, one theologian said that God made man in his image and for the last however many thousand years we've been returning the favour. We create God backing our image. So what I mean by this is I've grown up in church as a kid and I remember being in church and hearing a worship leader one time say, I was getting ready this morning and you know God told me this is the song we need to sing today. Scrap what we have planned. We are singing this song. And I remember as a kid being like, wow, God is like messing up the service. This is so cool. God is like saying, let's go this way. Let's do this. And then as I grew older, as a teenager, I clocked something. I clocked something very, very important to this situation. And I noticed that never in all my life of growing up in church had I heard a worship leader come to church on a Sunday morning and go, God's told me we need to do this song. I hate this song. I loathe this song. If I ever heard someone play this song again, I would strangle them. I would want to hurt them. God's taste in music was exactly the same as every worship leader. It was amazing. It was miraculous how this is possible. But we create God back in our own image, but not just worship leaders, speakers as well, myself. The, the picture I portray of God is how I see God, and I end up portraying a God that looks a bit like me. Not too much like me, that would be a disaster, but a little bit like me. But everyone does it. And actually, it's not just exclusive to Christians, it's everyone on this planet. And I'm going to say that because I'm going to look at Richard Dawkins, and I'd encourage you on YouTube, there's a debate with him. I can't remember if it's at Oxford University or Cambridge University, but he's debating with the ex-Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, and halfway through, he's doing this comedy kind of sketch. He's being a bit funny, but as he's being funny, he's actually being very, very truthful, and it's a big eye-opener. He makes a few statements, not exactly in these words, but what he says is, like, the God of the Bible isn't true. Um, the God of the Quran and other books can't possibly be true. He says, if God were true, he would be, and then he starts to do something amazing. He starts to fulfill every criteria I've just spoken. He paints a God who looks exactly like Richard Dawkins. He would be a God of science. He would be a God of mathematics. <laughs> and then he starts to paint this picture, and all of a sudden, the man who makes this book, The God Delusion, and logically takes apart Christianity and other faiths step by step, 
ticks every box that every spiritual Christian God believing person ticks every single freaking day and he does it in an argument against God it's unbelievable it's amazing but actually what I would like to say today is that actually as in church we tend to have this angle that like oh this person has doubts this person doesn't really have faith in this like you know I can't really trust them with this role in the church I can't trust them with that role in the church I love Jesus I love Jesus because Jesus picks 12 there were disciples that followed him he had over 72 at one point in the New Testament but he picks the disciples, the 12 who he also called apostles, ones who he sends out, and one of them he picks is riddled with doubts. Riddled with doubts. You would never have a church leader in our day and age go, I know this guy, he is full of unbelief. Sweet, get him preaching. <laughs> Flipping yippee-ki-yay. Let him do our discipleship system. No, let him lead worship. Ah, oh, send him to the kids, the youth, they need his doubts. They don't do it, but Jesus takes this guy and goes, this guy here, Thomas, he's got his doubts. Not got it all together. Brilliant. Send him. And not only will I have him as a disciple, I'll send him out happily to speak for me and to be a sent one, an apostle for me. That's who Jesus is. That's what he does. Why does he do this? Because regardless of what doubts or what particular part of society you come from or how you're made up, you are made in the image of God. Every one of us is made in the image of God and there is a connection in every different aspect. And Thomas we're looking at today had his doubts. The difference between Thomas and Richard Dawkins is very, very simple. There's one profound difference. Thomas said this of Jesus when he heard he'd been risen from the dead. He said, unless I can put my fingers in the holes in his hands or put my hand in the side where he was speared, I won't believe. Then Jesus is standing there going, come at me, bro. Come, come touch. And Thomas believes. Richard Dawkins has his questions and he has his views. This God of mathematics, this God of science, he hasn't had his answers yet. But this God is a God who wants to connect with every aspect of society. A little while ago, I started thinking something. I started to think, what if God wrote the first chapter of Genesis in a way that was written for Richard Dawkins? That would change everything, wouldn't it? He would read these equations. He would read how he understands, the language he understands it. And he would go, wow, this God is true. I realized, though, for that to happen, it would screw everything up. Because if the first chapter of Genesis was written in a way for Richard Dawkins then what would have happened is, thousands of years ago, it would have been lost because it would have made sense to no one and no one would have cared about it and it would have been an obsolete piece of information and it never would have got to Richard Dawkins. Pointless, waste of time. What I see in the first chapter of Genesis um, is a few different things. One thing I'm going to say today, some disagree with, some agree with. Theologians kind of differ on this. But the first opening um, chapter of Genesis, the majority of it is actually poetic. It's got a rhyming scheme. You've got ten repetitions and seven repetitions. It's set up in the form of a poem but actually the first chapter of Genesis has something so powerful and what the scripture is is so amazing the Bible is that it transcends time what I mean by that is God wrote an introduction that could challenge every moment in history and every moment in the future when Genesis was first written it said they worship the sun people in common in the culture society worship the sun the moon and the stars and in the first chapter of Genesis this God is introduced who says the sun the moon the stars guess what I made them I made them this God made these things you worship. They're not to be worshipped. It's revolutionized the way they saw the world and they saw everything. What I also noticed is as I looked at Richard Dawkins' um, book, The God Delusion, I kind of do this thing now where I flick to the back of books, not to read the end and the spoiler, um, but to get to like where it's got all, it, all his references. You can see what he's been reading and where he's made his arguments. One of the things I noticed was in the back of his book, it, it related to tons and tons of scientific journals. Not once was there a mention to Genesis 1 being written in the Hebrew language. 
not once was there any recollection to this, but he took apart a passage that was written in Hebrew and he judged it on what he read in the English language. Now, for a scientist, someone who takes all the evidence, looks at all the angles, then comes to a conclusion, and people have judged Christianity and the Bible on the basis of something they've never understood or never looked into. I've yet to see a single scientist quote the original Hebrew and what the language says. For example, I'm going to look at just the first verse of Genesis today. I'm going to mention it because it's a verse I care passionately about. This first verse reads something like this. It says, In the beginning, God, Elohim, Hebrew language has singular, has dual, then it has plural. So Elohim is plural. God created plural. We see the Trinity in the first chapter of the Bible. So the first verse of the Bible has the Trinity in it. God created plural. Then the next word is a word bara. Now this word bara means to create. But actually it means so much more than just to create. It also means to cut and to separate. Then the Bible goes on to say, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's how we read it in English. But when you read it holistically with a Hebrew mindset and understanding of the day and the language they use, it basically says this. In the beginning, God created, cut, separated the heavens and the earth. The understanding in Hebrew for heavens is everywhere in existence and creation bar earth. And the Hebrew understanding for earth is earth. Thank you very much. (laughs) So basically, the first verse of Genesis says exactly what Richard Dawkins and all these guys have been saying for a long, long time. That basically everything came from one point and was separated outwards. And if you want to go any further than that, you can look at Isaiah. Isaiah talks about when everything is finished, the Messiah coming back, and basically it talks about a big scroll and being rolled back in. And what do they say about the universe? It expanded from one point, it's going back in on itself. Now these are simple things that the Bible has said for thousands of years. But because it's written in a way that could be understood when there was no understanding of science all the way through till today and all the way into the future, what you have to understand is if the Bible had written Genesis 1 for Richard Dawkins, it never would have made it to Richard Dawkins for a start, but say a miracle happened and it did make it to Richard Dawkins, he'd be like, fantastic, I can, I can understand this God. The problem is, in the future, smarter guys, new language, new algorithms, new equations, they would look back and go, these equations are obsolete, this is foolishness, this is stupid. So this Bible, I want to put forward the case that it is written in the most amazing and wonderful way it could possibly be written, that all people from all backgrounds throughout all of time would have an opportunity to encounter this God. And so I want to say today that the Bible is completely for doubters. It's completely for everyone. There is no type of people, no people group, no race, no creed, no level of intelligence or any other way that we divide and and stick people and marginalize them and put them into categories This book is written in a way to connect with all people throughout all ages and all time. And that it is okay to come to this Bible and it's okay to come to this Jesus with your doubts, with your fears, with your problems and with your insecurities because God is big enough for all of it. And it's also big enough for you to come with your hurts. One of the things I want to talk about is Thomas is standing in front of this Jesus. Jesus has been brutally murdered and tortured and killed, he's risen from the dead, and the first thing his friend is, is, is he hears his friend going on about is like, unless I touch this, unless I touch that, man ain't believing blood. Like, you've suffered all that, and that's how your mate is. At that point, most people will go, you know what? Screw you, mate. Screw you. You know, go away, don't want anything more to do with you. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that to Thomas. He invites him. He still invites him. He still invites him. He doesn't go, 
what? I've been through all this for you. I've done all of this for you, mate. And this is how you're going to be. This is how you're going to be when I've suffered like this. I didn't suffer like this for me. I was in heaven in the form of God. I had it cushy, blood. I've come down here for you, mate. I've suffered for you. And all, you, all I ask is like, when you hear everyone saying they've seen me risen from the dead, is you just have a little bit of belief and wait and see. But no, you've got to go around to the guys going, well, I ain't believing, I ain't trusting him. Jesus could have been like that. What does he do in the face of fear? What does he do in the face of doubt and unbelief? He goes, cool, come test me. Come touch, come see, come feel. And you know what? It's healthy to have doubts. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have fear because we have a God, a Jesus, who says, come. He doesn't push us away with our fears and our doubts and our failures. He doesn't push us away for anything. His answer every time, in every situation, is come to me if you are weary, if you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Doubt and fear is a heavy baggage to carry around. Jesus says to us, come, come. And today what I want every one of us to get out of this and to understand without a shadow of a doubt, wherever you are in your faith, wherever you are with your doubts, because I've got bags full of them, Jesus is just saying, come, come. I was with Marv and I was with Moses this week and a couple of things we were chatting about is I had this great time at Starbucks where I'd gone to Starbucks to have this professional church time. You know, where you sit down, you get the iPad out and you're like, this is it. I will do professional planning. We will achieve things in this moment of time, me and God. And I sat there and I tried to get things down and it just wouldn't come out, Benjamin. I just tried to type as much as I could and it just wouldn't come out. Do you have those days? You don't! (laughs) Benjamin does not have those days. You are so peak. So, yeah, I was sitting there and I'm typing it all out. I'm trying to get this stuff out and it's like there's this brick wall. I just can't get anywhere. And I did this thing which I've always criticised and said is a bad thing to do, but I did it anyway. I did the Bible lottery. I grabbed my Bible. Um, I had my doubts and my problems and my struggles and all that. And I just grabbed my Bible and I flicked it open and I let it fall open where it wanted to fall. And I was just like, oh, this is not a good idea. God is not going to speak to me this way. And I don't suggest you do this. I suggest you read proper books straight front to colour. But I did this and God spoke. And um, I had a choice. It fell like a bit crumpled. There was Daniel... (laughs) There was Daniel with a bit of a bend and then the other side was like Matthew and I'm like, oh, at least I get a bit of choice in this. And I went, oh yeah, we'll go with, we'll go with Matthew. And um, I was like, yeah, let me read Matthew. So I started to read Matthew and I read the parable of the sower. And um, I was sharing with a couple of the guys, I hate the parable of the sower. And the reason I hate the parable of the sower is sheer statistics because um, there are four different types of ground and three of the four are basically screaming, you're screwed, is basically what it says. If you're the rocky ground where he sows, the birds come and eat the seeds. Screwed. If you're the shallow ground, then you grow and you wither in the heat and you die. Screwed. And if you're uh, the one that grows amongst the thorns and the thistles, you get choked out, you die. Screwed. And then there's one guy who's lucky and he's sown and the little seed lands and he grows and he multiplies. Great for him. Um, All my life as a kid and as as a teenager and even as an adult, I'd read that passage and I'd be like, oh no, what if I am the rocky ground? What if... Actually, these years have all been fake, and any minute now, I'm going to wither and die. What if, like, I get strangled out by some thorns? Ah, uh, 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 that's how I feel as a Christian. Some of you guys might think, like, that's really stupid doubts to have, but that's me, and I had them. And then there's the good soil, and I'm like, oh no, what are the odds of me being good soil? 75% chance I'm bad, 
25% chance I'm good. I know me. I'm definitely in the 25%. I'm screwed for life. This isn't really any good. Then I read further down, and Jesus says to the disciples, basically this says, guys, basically I speak in these parables, um, and I explain it to you guys, but for everyone else, no one gets to understand what I'm talking about, um, because Isaiah said that basically they will hear but not understand, see but not perceive. And so basically I speak like this to fulfill that. But actually what I realize is that's God's grace. Those who understood knew he was the Messiah. Those who sat there baffled knew Isaiah said the Messiah would come and baffle them. They still knew he's the Messiah. I mean, that's brilliant. It's like win-win. I wish my life was like that. But my life is like that because then Jesus goes on to say at the end of the statement of it all, said and done, like I say so they won't see and they won't understand. Then he says right in the end, last line, he says, but if they will turn to me, I will heal them. I was like, oh, Jesus, you are awesome. Like, I'm filled with doubt that I could be any one of the 75%. I have no faith that says I'm in the 25%. This is not good. And then I have this moment where I realize Jesus says to his disciples, if they turn, I'll heal them. Ah, oh, I get to be good soil. I get to be good soil because I get to turn to him. And so the whole point of this message today and everything I'm saying with Richard Dawkins, with Thomas, Thomas had that opportunity. He had his doubts to reject Jesus. But Jesus said, Come touch. Whatever your doubts and your problems and faith and issues in your life you're facing, Jesus says the same thing. Come, I will give you rest. And that if you have those doubts like, oh man, I can't do this. I can't be a child of God. Look what I've done. Look what I am. If you will turn to me, I will heal you. Not might heal you. If I feel like healing you. Mm, flip a coin. Nah, sorry mate. Phone a friend. Wrong answer. No, I will heal you. He's here. He's with us. I'm just going to pray for us. I'm going to wrap it up there. Father God, I thank you for your amazing grace. I thank you for faith and I also thank you for doubt because doubt can lead us to the questions that make us turn to you. Father God, would you guide us in our lives? You see us exactly as we are, everything about us. You know our fears, you know our failures, you know our doubts. But we know a God who came down in the flesh, suffered for us, and then when we doubt and throw that in his face, he says, it's cool, come and Come and see. Come and see. Lord Jesus, this morning we come to you afresh and we just say, yeah, we want to come and we want to see because we've got issues in our lives. We've got things that go on and that sometimes we look at things and we start to ask questions that, that, that eat away at us. And we just come to you this morning with those questions, knowing that you are here for us. You are big enough for them. You can take them and that you will not reject us, but you will draw us to yourself. Holy Spirit, I just ask right now, you would come and reside in us afresh, inspiring us, comforting us, challenging us. And where there is doubt, Lord, would you guide us to ask the right questions that will lead us closer and closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.